Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped in the, into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversation? Well, folks, that is the introduction to Lewis Carroll's famous children's book, Alice, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And I hear you ask, why on earth am I reading this out at the beginning of another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast? Welcome. Uh, well, it's all because my guest today is here to talk about the power of storytelling and why financial advisors need the power of storytelling to do better for their clients. I am joined, of course, by Michael Taggart, founder and Ma managing director of B2B fintech content content marketing agency Foco Global. Hello, dear friend. How are you? Hi. I just realized I need to change that description. That description. You? It's a really long one, isn't it? You can't get it out in one. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Shall I just call it a marketing agency, do you think? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Hi, yeah. everyone. Hello. Uh, we're also joined, I'm really pleased to say, by Ian Horn, who is CityWise UK Head of Audience Development. Less of a mouthful, but how are you? I'm very well. Very well. It's still quite a long job title. Not quite as yeah. Good as it could be, but uh, working on it. It's smack bang in the middle of goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about the power of uh, storytelling. Uh, just as a little aside for everyone at home, uh, Michael is writing a book about all of this at the moment and recently spoke uh, about storytelling at the Financial Planner Marketing Summit, which is the brainchild of Informed Choice Financial Planning Managing Director Martin Bamford, uh, also a podcast legend. We will come on to all that in a moment, but suffice to say, I can assure you there is a lot to say uh, on what will be a very interesting topic indeed. Michael, last time you were here, you took part in what I think must have been one of the inaugural uh, weekly rock hard quizzes. Yeah, I was really frightened this was going to happen. Is it, is it actually you? happening? It is happening, yeah. Uh, it's going to be super fun. Uh, and it's also really on topic. Previous quizzes have been very, very tangential, but this is, I'm pleased to say, very close to the topic. Okay. The, the good news here is the last time I did one of these quizzes from Ollie, I managed to score zero out of five. Which I, might be what I've been brought in to build your confidence up. No, I'm not I, entirely I, sure. I think I've got a 100% record in this. Well, maybe this well, so time... so have I, just the wrong kind. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe in this time you'll double your points because <laughs> there are 10 questions. So maybe you'll get a zero out of 10. Oh, let's hope, yeah. Is this uh, a competition? Uh, yes, it is. With a prize? This is why I brought him in. But also because he has some interesting things to say. Right. Most of the time. Wow. Um, I have 10 questions in the, this week's weekly rock hard quiz. Um, I'm going to read you the extract from an opening to some very, very famous books. And I want to know uh, what the book is and who the author is, if you, if you know. Sound impossible? Yes. Yeah, it does sound impossible. It does sound this impossible. this disorder where I know the answer, but it doesn't travel from my brain to my Just mouth. Just think carefully about each extract right. and see how you get on. Question one. All children, except one, grow up. Peter Pan. Correct. Michael, one point. It's the opening line from Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. And of course, why was Peter Pan always flying, Michael? Was he on drugs? Because he could <laughs> never, never land. Oh. <laughs> was he on drugs? That's a fair question. A fair question. Uh, question two. Ian, you need to be in the game. The mole had been working very hard all the morning, spring cleaning his little home. Go on, Michael. Go on. Toad of Toad Hall. It's the wind in the willows. Same I'll thing. Give you that. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same book. Two nil. Uh, uh, a very, very good answer. You were very quick there. Uh, I'll now read from that book in the style of Alan Bennett. Great. Hold up, said an elderly rabbit at the gap. Sixpence for the privilege of passing by the private road. He was bowled over in an instant by the impatient and contemptuous mole. 
That was brilliant. Oh, that's How good was good. that? Yeah, that's very good. I've been practicing that. Another career beckons, Ollie. Another <laughs> career beckons, yeah. Of appearing in the trip with Steve Coogan and Rob <laughs> Brydon. Uh, question three, Ian, yet to be in the game. Most motor cars are conglomerations, this is a long word for bundles, of steel and wire and rubber, rubber and plastic, and electricity and oil and gasoline and water, and the toffee papers you pushed down the crack in the back of the seat last Sunday. Which book is that from? Think cars, think flying cars, think... Ooh. Oh. Michael again? No, it's not. I was going to say Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It is. is it? Yeah. 3-0 it is. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Who wrote, for bonus point, who wrote that? Was it one of the gospel writers? Uh, maybe. It was Ian Fleming. Ah, Don't think he turned his hand to gospel. Of course. He was more into his sort of vodka martinis and suave trips to Jamaica to source the... Uh, the answer to all the violence in the world. Uh, Fleming obviously is most famous for James Bond, as I just said, but he did venture into children's fiction. And I might add what a terrifying fil film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang actually is. Have you seen it recently? I can sing it. I used to love that. No, please do not do that, Michael. Please stop. <laughs> um, I watched it recently and uh, it was one of my favourite children uh, films as a child and I have no idea why in hindsight because it is Maybe you, like, you just like sinister stuff because it's quite creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite creepy. Lots of weird old men. You calling me a creep? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no further questions. Uh, question four. It was seven o'clock of a very warm evening on the Sioni Hills when Father Wolf woke up from his day's rest, scratched himself, yawned and spread out his paws one after the other to get rid of the sleepy feeling in their tips. Which book is all that all about? Michael again. Is it Br'er Rabbit? No. Ah! Ian, there has been a live action film of this, of this very book. It's the second time a film of it's been made. It's very classic. It's oh. set in a jungle. Oh, The Lion King. Other one. Oh, Jungle Book. <laughs> Correct! Jungle Book. Oh, that doesn't count, does it? I can give you, I'm a generous host. It's 3-1. Uh, question five. I still don't count that as my first ever point. <laughs> Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Oh, Narnia. Correct, Narnia. Ian. Yeah. Okay, I'm counting that one though. You are really on fire now. Uh, question six. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Sounds like the Bible. It is the Bible, Michael. You're in there again. <laughs> Four two. Uh, question seven. I first met Dean not long after my wife and I split up. This is a hard one. Think beat poetry. Think 1950s. Ooh, think roads. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. No, it's actually On the Road by Jack Kerouac. It's a classic American uh, novel. Uh, this is precisely the point where the narrator describes meeting Dean Moriarty for the first time. What a name, Moriarty. <laughs> Question eight, still 4-2. You'll definitely get this one. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. It's one of the most famous books and it was made into a film with Colin Firth in it. Where he dived into a lake in a lovely shirt. Oh, I know. Ian. Um, Bridget Jones's Diary. No. Bridget Jones's Diary 2. No. Bridget Jones's Diary 3. Not oh, Bridget Jones. I think I, think I might have it, but... It's not coming. Set in the 18th century. Oh, oh yeah, Pride and Prejudice. Correct. Yeah. Oh, Ian, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Michael got that correct. Uh, Am I unassailable now? Can, we might as well pack this in. I'm going to wait until the end of the podcast okay. to decide the answer <laughs> to that. Uh, question nine, really short one. It was a pleasure to burn. This is so hard. I'm it's testing hard. you now. I'm, te I'm This is so hard. Burn. 
I'm going to give you the answer because there's nothing forthcoming from either of you. It's uh, it's Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. So this is a brilliant dystopian book from 1953 about a horrible American future where books are outlawed and burned by firemen, in quotes, quote marks. I'll reserve comment for how familiar that feels uh, nowadays. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on to our final question. You should get this. As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect. James and the Giant Peach. Nope. Not Roald Dahl. It's sort of a bit weirder than that, but still very famous. It's a book by Franz Kafka. Not The Trial. No. The that other, is a book by Franz Kafka. That's one of my favourite books. I love that book. Just showing off that. It's the other one. It's Metamorphosis. Oh. Uh, which describes the life of a man who wakes up as a huge beetle. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not very nice. Um, thank you for playing. I think off the top of my head, the scores were six-two. So Ian, you've actually done better. I've done all right, actually. This is a good day for me. Ian Hall has done two hundred percent better than he did in the previous. Well, uh, no, because quiz. I got zero in the last one. So what zero times two, isn't it zero? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You're supposed to work for guys, financial guys. I'm chairing this podcast. Come on. But it's nice though. You <laughs> said something stupid that makes me feel better about myself. So I like that. Oh, good. I'll that continue good to do you. that. That's You're good welcome. Gracious. Um, so after the scores on those doors, uh, and after the varied and at times gloomy journey through literary intros, I have one question for you both. I'll start with you, Ian. Do you have a favourite book? Yeah, well, as you've probably noticed, I'm not particularly well read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to think what my favourite book would be. I mean, any of the Harry Potters, probably. That's fair um, enough. Where's well, Wally was always a, a good read. <laughs> um, trying to think of an actual favourite book, though. It'd be hard to pick one. One of mine is uh, the singer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Flea. Uh, and oh, Anthony no, Kiedis. Is, yes, of course. He wrote a great book about his life in music. Did he? Yeah. It's called uh, Scar Tissue, and it's just an insane tale of, right. of modern music. Michael, do you have a favourite book? So I quite like Philip Pullman's books. Mm, and okay. not, not the famous ones, actually. There's one called something along the lines of The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ. Mm. which you're not supposed to talk about religion on stuff like this, are you? No, and I've already broken that rule, so <laughs> I'll take accept responsibility S for that. Suffice to say, it's one in the eye for um, the pious. Um, very well written, <laughs> uh, and make, makes, you, makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, it does make you think, doesn't it? Um, Favourite children's book of mine, Burglar Bill. Did you ever read Burglar Bill as a no. kid? Burglar Bill goes around people's houses, stealing stuff. On the way, bumps into his future wife, also stealing stuff. They live happily ever after. Is Never has there ever been a story so sort of ceaselessly criminal. Wow, they stole such a good each happy other's ending. hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We'll move on. Um, Michael, <laughs> what are the main principles of storytelling? What, you know, what are you going to be, what do you talk about when you talk about storytelling? So we're going straight in, aren't we? Here? We are, we are. So there's a kind of a little bit of a secret to storytelling that no one really tells you. Mm -hmm. um, unless you kind of look into it. And, and that is, I think, that stories, obviously, this isn't the secret, but everyone knows they have to be interesting. Yeah. Everyone knows they have to cover, cover topics that, that touch you. They have to be well-written. But actually, what the bit that everyone misses is that they've got a structure. Okay. So a story has a protagonist mm. or an antagonist, mm. if it's someone evil like yourself, Holly. <laughs> and and um, the protagonist is someone who you've got to identify with. You've got to give a, to, to care about what happens mm. to them next. So you've got to be emotionally invested in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and what I say to people sometimes is you'll notice that um, if you ever watch a cop show, 
or um, uh, a hospital drama. Mm. The doctor and the kind of the, the chief cop, they're always a maverick. And that's simply because people see themselves as mavericks generally, or they yeah. like to think of themselves as that. So, so the protagonist's got to kind of connect with you in some way. You've got to care about them. The next thing is there's always this thing that's called an inciting moment. And it's the what if moment in a story. So most stories you think about, there's a setup, everyone's bumbling along nicely, mm. and then something happens. So if you take the, um, it, this could be a quiz actually, you can name the, the, the film, but um, what if a, uh, a slum dweller in Mumbai is suddenly accused of cheating? Slumdog millionaire. No, I hadn't finished the question. Oh. <laughs> is, it, is accused of cheating? Go on. Yes, it is. It's Slumdog Millionaire. Or, oh. or, or you could pick another one. Like, um, mm. I'm just going to give you the answer to this one. The King's Speech. So that, that would be what if a king was you know, struggling terribly with speaking and, mm. and a maverick, maverick again. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maverick teacher from the Antipodes yeah. came along and solved all his problems. So there's a what if moment. Yeah, yeah. And then the two other things are, you've got to have um, a problem. A there's got to be a struggle in a story. There's, there's a story isn't a story without a struggle. Mm. Um, and that can be all sorts of different things. And you can talk for ages just about the struggle element of a story. So for example, struggle appears in children's stories from the age of two. And this has been done in science. Scientific experiments have found that if you ask a child aged, say, three, four, five, six, right up to 10, just to come out with a story, it will nearly always be about daddy falling out a plane in the sky or a jungle with a big, terrible animal. Um, so, uh, and if you think about your dreams, dreams are always about trouble. You know, you turn up to a podcast completely un unprepared, or you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you fail a quiz too you're, soon. You're in, <laughs> but we we all know the the, the dreams. Yeah. You're in, you're, you're at you, you're you're at school, and suddenly you discover you're naked. You know, and actually, without making this too smutty, I've already started. But and then even, I fell asleep. Even <laughs> even the smutty dreams that we have are, let's face it, yeah. they're nearly always replete with problems, aren't yeah, they? Am I giving stories. too much away here? So there's a problem um, element to stories, and then finally there's a character arc. Mm. So you don't have a good story if the character is exactly the mm. same at the beginning as they are at the end. Okay. You want a character to have gone through some. It's normally some change in the desire that they started out with. Then there's that inciting moment that throws their life upside down. There's the struggle to, to achieve something. And that turns them into a different person. And it normally turns them into someone who has a different view on what they wanted from life. Mm. So this is kind of the secret element of storytelling that I'm really interested in. Mm. Um, I'm going to ask a question to Ian. Ian, have you ever uh, encountered an IFA on your travels or otherwise who has said that they frame conversations with clients in that way of, you know, because we often hear conversations, you know, yeah. we, we hear people talk about how the danger is inflation to client money or the danger is pound costs ravaging or yeah. the bad guy is, you know. I mean, that seems to be the old approach, doesn't it now? I mean, the people I speak to, especially in the financial planning space, and it's odd to go from this wonderful mythical world of storytelling to, the office of a financial advisor, I realise... What a segue. Yeah, I know. It, it was very... Well, yeah, great segue, Ollie. <laughs> but I find the way people are going now is leading with lifestyle planning or leaving, leading with cash flow modelling and things yeah. like that, which sounds dull, but obviously when you break it down, people are speaking to their clients saying, what do you actually want out of life? What is your dream retirement? How can you achieve the things you want? And, you know, five years from now when you've packed in your job or whatever you're doing, what do you picture yourself doing? Mm. So I think storytelling is increasingly becoming a part of the financial plan. I think someone might even walk into a financial planner's office and say, oh, I'd like 5%, 10% returns. I want to retire with a million. But increasingly, that's not how you capture people's hearts and minds. Oh, it's not um, how you get I couldn't to commit to agree a plan. more. I mean, you could, be, you could be told that a financial planner is amazing. You go onto their website 
and you see them talking about how they're going to help you achieve alpha or whatever, or how they're going to, you know, get you whatever that is, yeah, <laughs> a 7% return per year yeah. on this, that, and the other. It's just not inspiring anyone. What, what inspires people is when that person, when they present to you the story of something that was le a problem at the beginning and then became good. And it could be about themselves or, or a client. Mm -hmm. so I was doing this last night. So I, I was actually making a few notes last night. Uh, you'll be aware that on this podcast and on others, we've been talking quite a lot about mental health, financial services and financial planning. Uh, so I was doing a little exercise of myself last night, sort of saying, okay, well, what do I want uh, X or Y uh, element of my life to look like? Look like, And you're sort of almost writing that story backwards. So you're thinking, okay, well, I'm actually going to write my happy ending or whatever, and then I'm going to try and make some changes to achieve that. That's completely storytelling, but yeah. backwards. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, another, another example of exactly that, and he won't mind me saying this because he's very public about it, but is a, is, is a guy called Chris Budd, who many of your um, listeners will know. Absolutely. He's someone who suffered from um, mental health problems himself, in, from depression. And mm. again, I'm not betraying any confidences here. He's very public about this. Yeah. But he tells the story um, at conferences, on, in, on news websites, on his, probably on some of his own websites about how he went through this terrible period of not being able to think straight in his early 40s. And uh, so he set up, I'm not saying he did this cynically, it is a true story. Mm. He's, you know, in, he, he worked out through lots of soul searching how he could get through that problem and came through, I think a little bit of talking to the right people, the idea that he had to write. Mm. So he built, and again, we get right into the story now, he built this writing den in his garden, which is fascinating, and every Wednesday set aside that day to write. Mm. And within six months, the, the muzzy head was gone. He was halfway into his first novel. A few years later, he had three novels under his belt. And uh, you know, now he's helping IFA businesses um, but by writing business um, books about succession planning and all that stuff. Mm. And when you read a story like that, you know, and you're thinking of getting financial planning off a guy like that, you think there's going to be a lot of people out there who think, I like this guy. Mm. This is a guy who's got compassion, mm. who's not uh, frightened of admitting his own frailties, mm. and who's not, and, and just show me the way I can get through bad stuff in my life. I'm going to enjoy working with this guy. Mm. You know, and how much more powerful is that than just talking about, about the numbers in his business? Or yeah. yeah, yeah, I find it interesting as well because you were talking about the uh, you know the protagonist scenario. Everybody is the protagonist in their own life story. And that's a story that surely you can get people to buy into. People must surely want to hear that. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's particularly relevant to financial planners. Financial plan planners, unlike doctors, unlike lion tamers, unlike police people, are working with people largely who are quite similar to them. Mm. There'll be people, prof often professional people. I don't want to make it sound elitist, but they will, they will be working with professional people. They'll be working with ambitious people, people with families, people who are worried about the future, people who are worried about what they're going to do with their money. And they're a mirror image of a lot of their clients. So if they tell stories about their own lives, how they became financial planners, what drives them to do what they do, that's going to resonate with at least a good proportion of people who, who mm. might be their clients. Um, a worst case scenario, you're a financial planner and you go to this, you know, this conference where you see Michael Taggart speak about storytelling and the power of storytelling and you think, brilliant, I'm going to incorporate that. You know, that's something I've always wanted to do, but I've always been a bit scared for, you know, for fear that actually the financial services world with which I deal on a daily basis is just a bit too sort of macho, shall we say, not enough of the soft stuff. You go into your next meeting with your client and, and they say, what are you talking about? Why are you framing this in terms of a story and a narrative? Is it, is it, am I making that too explicit? Or you know, it, what do you do if you're a financial planner and, and someone's just like, 
you, I just came here to talk about my investments. I'm not here to, to get. Well, you, you can talk about someone's really sure what they want to talk about, and it's a bit dry. You can still excite them by telling stories. And so I would advise someone like that to tell stories about similar clients that they've worked with in the past. Mm. And it can be quite a simple story at first. These things don't have to be war and peace. They don't have to be amazingly <laughs> told. They just have to have the elements of the protagonist, the, the, the inciting incident, the journey, that sort of thing, the character yeah. arcs. And you can do all that very simply just by saying, we had another guy you know, who, who wanted to buy a yacht or whatever, or you know, send his kid to a public school near Slough, and um, that's Eton. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> that Marlborough? No, no. <laughs> and um, so you tell a story of someone you've helped recently, and for those who are brave enough to talk about themselves, just start small. Mm. So think about the about page on your website. Just does it look like a CV? Mm. Very simply, think about the, the the bio that you've got on LinkedIn, or the, the every time you do a presentation and you say a little bit about yourself, just start in small steps and tell us. Just talk about a little bit about a journey, the journey of your life that brought you to where you are. And mm. um, do you think advisors should read more? I think. I mean, I get the impression they read quite a lot. You know, every summer we sort of do these articles about you know what book are you reading this summer, and they seem quite well read. I, I don't know loads about how much advisors read, but on the um, odd occasions that I have um, long intellectual conversations about Lewis Carroll and the like on Twitter with <laughs> with financial advisors, they seem to know more than me. So I, mm. I, 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 it's always good to read more, isn't it? Mm. And it's always good to understand what stories are, are rubbish and don't really move you, and which ones do. Um, well, I think I think because they're in a storytelling profession, as every consultant is, yeah, reading is quite important. Mm. Ian, is the number of uh, financial planners out there who are writing books going up or down? Surely going up. I think it's going up. I think it must be. I mean, the the kind of advisor as the as a content producer is a new phenomenon. You've got podcasts. You got you know. I think when I started job almost five years ago. Everyone was thinking, I need to launch my own blog. And accordingly, we saw lots of IFA blogs start. That seems to be on the way now. People are now releasing podcasts and videos and all sorts. I'm not necessarily, you know, now, now I'm thinking about it more. I'm not necessarily sure more people are writing books because I think the medium's kind of changing. But mm. storytelling still, you know, what we're talking about today is still the key thing. But getting the message out there in a more approachable way is is probably what's happening more, more than anything. Yeah. Are there any sort of specific examples off the top of your head where you think you looked at one or... You know, I saw one from Craig Palfrey at Penguin Wealth. You know, he's mm, doing, he's, he's doing several books now. Yeah, he's done, he's done loads, hasn't he? And I thought, mm -hmm. well, that looks really good. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I get sent quite a lot of books because people want to send out press releases. I mm. inevitably don't read all of them. Um, as you might have noticed, so someone like myself, I'm probably more like to dip in and out of things. I mean, most of my reading I do online. I read news stories. don't read a huge amount of books. But one thing I thought saw that I particularly liked was uh, Duncan Glassy from Wealthflow did mm. a... Uh, financial coaching uh, book which had lots of great kind of like activities in it and stories and all sorts of things very vibrant very creative and I think things like that that make people think about how they're doing things without just being a 300 page block of text are probably probably the way forward yeah I, I actually think the thing that's revolutionized um, both the writing and the reading of books is is audiobooks actually so similar to podcasts and I'm really really into audiobooks um, do you believe the hype because I see these things on LinkedIn where it's like, <laughs> I've listened to 100 books in the last six hours. And it's, well, you know. I, re I, reckon, <laughs> I reckon I've listened to like 10 
in the last year. So I don't believe the hype. Okay, as a normal person, I'll accept that as a benchmark yeah. example. But you can you can listen to you can listen to an audio book doing literally anything. I mean, use your imagination. It's literally anything. So um, <laughs> <laughs> hedge trim. Yeah. Yep. Move on quickly. <laughs> yep. So, so that's that. that I, I think it's great that um, yeah. IFAs are exploring um, podcasts and audio content because um, I, I don't want to bang on about podcasts. This is a podcast, but um, there's all sorts of ways that you can tell stories. You don't need to be a good writer, is the point. Mm. And what are the ways of uh, interesting here to talk about? You know, the ways that this medium has changed, perhaps uh, particularly you. In what are the ways in which that might change in the future? Do you think? I mean, we're, we're, oh, well, as Ian I, says, we seem to be going through this sort of very podcasty, booky I mean, phase. Is you've got to. I mean, you've got to j- j- just to. I, I will answer that question, but I think you have to look at it in the context of the, the whole of history to understand how big a question that is. Because, as you know, obviously it started around the campfire in you know, mm. forty thousand years ago. Yeah. With with caveman father saying to caveman son, make te- financial plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, but, yeah. but telling the story of <laughs> telling the, the story of how the uh, the saber toothed tiger attacked someone in the clan earlier, and and not just simply saying um, if you um, run into a saber toothed tiger, you could end up with a, a puncture in your anterior dulcar limba planting whatever. Um, so so storytelling to, to to create lessons for people, but then right through to the invention of the book and you know, and dreams themselves are stories, you know, then through to the, the TV, radio, it's never stopped evolving. And then, of course, the internet. We tell stories all day, every day, don't we? With, with listening to music, that's a story. Mm. I mean, you're generally listening to a protagonist yeah, professing their, 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 their wish to um, pop in a, a cap in someone's ass or, <laughs> or something like that if you're uh, a young listener. Um, from, love stories for me. How um, do you do, fellow kids? Yeah. <laughs> um, social media is a story, isn't it? Yeah. So we're all telling the li- we're telling the lives of our st- uh, the stories of our lives on social media, or more likely, probably for most of us, lurking in the dark confines of other people's stories. Where's it going? I mean, who knows? You have to look. You have to just, I guess, look at a few episodes of Black Mirror to start imagining where it's going. Mm. It's got to be something to do with AI, hasn't it? The yeah. creation of your own stories. If you, I mean, if you look at computer games now. They're already basically stories, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It used to be you'd go on and you'd play Pac-Man and see how many um, magic pills you could swallow. Um, <laughs> a biography. Yes. Um, but now it's a story, isn't it? Yeah, you, no, you go to a yeah, town, you make allies, you know, you pop some cats in some asses, and mm. then you... Um, I mean the donkey kind. You're talking by the way. about Grand Theft Auto. I'm talking about Grand Theft Auto. Because that's my. Is that favorite. still a thing? It's my yeah, yeah absolutely. But the storytelling and it's really good. Yeah, as well. that's my favourite yeah, game. So of it's time. a story, isn't it? Um, and is there something called Fortnite, Ollie? Yeah, but I, so I hear there yeah. are children in the town wearing t-shirts with that written yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. So that's where storytelling's going. It's not. It's no longer about the page. That's yeah, been supplanted okay. by the screen. And what a video, because you know, Ian and I do a lot of video for CityWire. Uh, we identify it as an effective way of telling stories, but within reason. So you know, people's attention spans in 2019, they're you know not perhaps what they were. Uh, you can only really hold the attention to tell that story in about two minutes, yep. maximum, really. Yeah, it's not... It, I mean, there's no doubt at all that um, people's attention... Sorry, what was I talking about? <laughs> no, very there's no, good, very there's good. No, there is no doubt that their attention spans are shortening, but also it's about the pace of people's lives, isn't it? So we have... We quite often only have three-minute slots, don't we? Yeah. So uh, often, you know, it'll be from... Uh, there's no, actually, three-minute tube journeys, but it, the, the, a, a 
20 minute slot is a good slot for a, yeah. for a story. So most podcasts are, for example, about 15, 20 minutes long because that's how long a bus or tube journey is. I remember revising for my finals at university and being told that your average attention span is about 20 minutes. Yeah. And that being quite life changing. I mean, there's some. I, mean, I can make a cup of tea every 20 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's some stunning statistics on that, though. I mean, our, our brains are just scatty. So we, we have something like 2,000. Um, daydreams a day on average 14 seconds long which basically means our minds are going all over the place um, mm. every day and we're actually in la la land spinning fantasies for half of our waking hours and a third of our time doing the, the pre-prepared mass about a third of the time our time here on earth mm. so our minds are always flitting from one thing to the next the next and you're playing out scenes in your head constantly it's like a mental gym or a, a kind of a flight simulator where you're imagining asking someone out or fighting someone or, or doing that speech or whatever it is that you've got to do. You're playing out the problems that could come up in your head. They last 14 seconds, then you're on to the next thing unless you're kind of obsessed with something. But So your mind is working in this way where it's constantly thinking about different things and flitting and changing. So why not have um, the input to that mind sort of acting in the same way and having small bite-sized chunks of media mm. uh, Ian I have one final question for this episode which mm. is I'm afraid for you uh, oh, you're the no. man who's doing audience development on both the new model advisor and the wealth manager mm -hmm. side uh, to put some context there are sort of two uh, sets of audience uh, audiences there for us uh, though there is of course some overlap um, do you think the storytelling element is as prominent in the NMA side as it is or as prominent in the WM side mm. as it is on the NMA well, side I'm not sure because I think there's a trend towards wealth managers becoming more like relationship managers now so mm. there is a an element where they have to take on board things like financial planning and speak to the client you know find out more about the person rather than just being I'm just your investment manager which yes. traditionally was the job so it has evolved. At the same time, you know, I think we see a different trend there in that I find advisors and planners so much more kind of unshackled because there's no compliance problem. Mm. In wealth management, most people we deal with are employed by someone. They work for big companies. Everything they say has to go through several layers of mm. you know, red tape, really. Mm. Whereas advisors, I mean, you know, people like Chris Budd being very open about his story. I'm not sure he could have done that as a wealth manager. Mm. So I think you've got a lot more creative freedom in the advice space. You have people say things online that would you know, possibly get them sacked if they're a wealth manager. Yeah. <laughs> but they do it, and we get to enjoy reading it every day. So, yeah. you know, it, Not just creative nice. freedom, but amazing stories. I mean, these guys mm. are meeting interesting people with interesting problems all the time. Mm. I bumped into a financial planner just on Friday. Um, I didn't bump into her. I arranged to meet her. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, but she told me a great story about how she just, um, it's a bit sad, but she was working with a couple and one of them died quite suddenly, mm. a quite elderly couple. Yeah. Uh, one, the other thought that she was going to be destitute, but the financial advisor managed to dig out a pension. The house mm. was saved. And although it was sad, everything was made much better. And she told it in a really compelling way. Um, and we weren't having a conversation about storytelling. But I, it just made me think, you guys have got to have loads of stories like this in, in, in your roles. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. Um, thank you both for joining me. Real pleasure. Particular thanks to you, Michael, for making the journey here. But also particular thanks to you, Ian, because I know I dragged you into this. <laughs> You've been a great sport as ever. Uh, thank you very much for being with thank us. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming in, both of you. If you have thoughts about storytelling or about how, how IFAs can better communicate to clients, we'd be very pleased to hear them. Or indeed, any other thing that you want to say, just get in touch with us at news at citywide.co.uk or indeed tweet us at New Model Advisor. We do read everything that you send in, uh, though some of it isn't publishable. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> 
time, a big thank you for listening and see you next time. We'll close with this, the final words from The Great Gatsby. And as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I uh, thought can of Gatsby. Alan Bennett, please? We want it as Alan Bennett. Please. And as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eludes us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we'll run faster, stretch out our arms further, and one fine morning, so we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Superb. Can you do Donald Trump now? <laughs> Couldn't even manage it if I tried. <laughs> but you thought about it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you. Thank you.